Okay, well, here we are again, journey through Scripture, and uh, recently we've been looking at prophets as we're in the Old Testament right now, as we journey through Scripture, and prophets have an image, right? Each of these prophets have been giving us an image to help us imagine their prophecy. Remember Isaiah, he got to see the throne room of God. Uh, that, that was quite a dramatic image. Ezekiel got to see the valley of dry bones resurrected. Um, go back and read that if you haven't already. And then Daniel, just last week, got to interpret dreams. And in one of these dreams and visions, Daniel sees the Son of Man. And this Son of Man is going to come and defeat the beasts and the super beast. that is the evil, uh, immoral powers of his own day and even uh, in our day and even in the future, referring to Jesus. Uh, now in Hosea, what image does Hosea give us to understand his prophecy? Hosea got to marry a prostitute. Uh, yeah, there we go. The shocking book right here in scripture is this graphic yet humbling picture of sin and God's grace and so Hosea is presenting to us this marital drama as an illustration of what sin really, uh, really is. Sin is spiritual adultery. And we are the ones who are unfaithful in this marriage relationship to God, running after other divine lovers. And yet God takes spiritually adulterous people and he pays the penalty for their unfaithfulness. He buys them back by his redeeming grace, so that they may be wed to him in an eternal spiritual union and marriage. Okay, that was a very quick summary. Uh, there's lots of drama in this book, and so why don't we give a narrative summary of the book of Hosea, and then I'm going to choose a sample passage here in the book of Hosea. First of all, the context. As you read the shocking nature of Hosea, as the reader, you and I won't understand it until we go back and read and reread a little bit of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and that's where those two chapters say, and God is speaking there through Moses to his people, you will think you have everything, then you'll forget me. Then you'll run after other gods and other divine lovers. Therefore, beware. Don't forget the Lord your God. If you do, it will lead to spiritual adultery. Book of Numbers is another place that we need to sort of go back and read to understand why is Hosea being so explicit in this illustration of prostitute. Uh, Book of Numbers says, uh, God is saying, remember my commands so that you won't prostitute yourselves to go to other gods. Wow. Our time period here is 722 BC. The big, bad Assyrian Empire swooped in and has decimated Israel. Refer back to 2 Kings and how that happened. And so the book of Hosea is like a collection of 25 years of his writings, his sermons, and it's almost all poetry. It's prophetic, there's these strong images, but it's, it's poetic. And the saddest part of the book is that Israel didn't listen. Even though there's this dramatic representation of Israel's sin being spiritual adultery played out through Gomer, who is this prostitute, Hosea's wife, Israel doesn't even listen. 
So Hosea is warning them about the same thing that they were going into exile for. So let's sum up a little bit of the characters and the imagery explained. Uh, Hosea represents God in this book. Like, so if you're just getting started in your study of Hosea, you should know that Hosea is representing God in this book. Hosea is in love. God is in love. Hosea has been betrayed. God has been betrayed. Hosea pays an enormous price to get his spouse Gomer back. God pays an enormous price to get us back. Gomer, another character, represents us. And yes, Scripture just called us spiritual adulterers. We want to have it our own way. We're willing to reject God's covenantal faithfulness for fleeting one-night stands with idols or things that we think will give us identity and pleasure. We go there. So the story of Hosea and Gomer reminds us that God loves us not because of our faithfulness, but because of his. Why does God love me, you may think? Well, sometimes we're tempted to think, oh, that's my own faithfulness. I did a good job of following the Lord, keeping his commandments. And this book here, Hosea, reminds us that God loves us not because of our faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. So the image of Gomer being a prostitute, by the way, isn't the Bible's way of viewing women as weaker than men. I struggled with that this week as I read it and reread this book and reread this book and pondered and thought and struggled and wrestled with, man, it just feels like that this prostitution thing here, this image, is it just being thrown on women and, and, and it just feels like a, could feel like a negative view of women. But this is not the Bible's way, by the way. This is not the Bible's way of viewing women as weaker than men. And there was a sermon that helped me understand this. Uh, the preacher's name is Chris Horn, and he's a preacher at a church in Winston-Salem, and the church's name is Redeemer. And in this teaching of his, in Proverbs chapter 5, I found it helpful to listen to, he acknowledges that women have historically been treated as a sexual problem for men. That's the way they've been portrayed. Watch out for women. Watch out from what they're wearing. They may make you stumble and fall into sin in that sort of way. He, Chris Horn mentions his time working with college students. And some of those college students that he worked with, those females, felt uh, a need to share with him memories, stories of young girls being shamed for what they wore to the swimming pool. Because, once again, we have wrongly viewed women as objects. Um, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is just depicting that we have done that. And so, um, meanwhile, women are in danger. The truth is women are in danger to predatory and desperate men who look upon them in this way. This is a grief to our Lord, and it must be repented of. Uh, that being said, the ancient culture in which the Bible is written in, Chris Horn goes on to explain, uh, is centered around and prioritized men. Our culture does the same thing. And so when God brought his word to bear, he spoke in ways that that culture could understand. That's why God speaks and uses such illustrations in the Bible. He, he knows that that very culture, 
that original setting that he's speaking to, couldn't understand those illustrations. And so, uh, and simultaneously, God is upending that culture uh, in, in ways that only God can do. God does not turn his nose up to our weird and messed up cultural stuff, uh, but God, at the same time, does not endorse it. He, as only God does, is able to enter into it. And so um, we see Jesus in Hosea, do we not, if you've read it? And uh, Jesus, although his name, Jesus, is not appearing in this book, if you go back and look at Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, you'll see Jesus reference here. Uh, it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This is referencing in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, where Jesus Christ's parents took him out of Egypt in fear of Herod. So already, already Hosea is, is dropping those little seeds, those little arrows pointing towards a coming redeemer, a coming uh, Messiah and king. All these prophets have been doing that. There's more Jesus in Hosea, chapter 13, verse 14. Says, I will deliver this people from the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? That also sounds like the writer Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't it? Well, the style of Hosea's prophecy is real life theater. Real life theater. God is speaking to Hosea in a way that it's through his own marriage, he's to marry a prostitute. If you're like me as you're reading this, you think, how did all this work? Um, did he fall in love with a prostitute? Uh, or, or, or did he fall in love with this woman? She, he's called to marry her, and then she begins to prostitute herself. We don't know the answer to that. We, we don't know. But what we do know is God walks with Hosea through the grueling pain of lying in bed with an adulterous spouse. Place yourself in that situation as you read this book. God walks with Hosea and wants Hosea to experience it. Remember, this is real life theater. He wants him to experience it so that Hosea can understand what God is going through so that he can communicate it to the people. So if you are suffering right now, Christian, if you are going through a wilderness, if you are going through a rough time or perhaps in the middle of an all-out meltdown, perhaps, perhaps God is allowing you to feel that so that you can be a prophet, so that you can speak to others in their pain. It's not the only reason for pain and suffering, but at least in Hosea's life, he needed to experience it so that he could speak it to God's people. Quick chapter summary. And each week I say a caveat, like I know this is moving quickly here. There's no apology there. <laughs> it's just an invitation to go back and read it and slow it down as you try to reread it. Chapters one through three is Hosea's marriage to Gomer. God calls him to marry Gomer. They end up having three children together. God is gonna do something to save and restore his people. That's what we see in chapters one through three. Despite Gomer's unfaithfulness, Hosea is called by God to go and find her because she keeps running off again and again and again. It doesn't just happen one time. Go find her. Pay her debts off to her lovers that she's got going on. 
Commit your love and faithfulness to her once again. So God says all of this, that the broken marriage, the children, it's all a prophetic symbol of telling God's relationship to his people. That's what's happening here. God rescued them out of slavery. Think back, Exodus, the whole biblical storyline. Your mind must be going back to the story. Take it back to the story. He's rescued them out of slavery. He's brought them to Mount Sinai. They enter into a covenantal marriage together. Remember that? And he asks them to be faithful to him alone. That's what God is doing there. And so when you get up to Exodus chapter 20, and there's those 10 commandments, don't forget verse 1 of chapter 20 that says, I am the Lord your God. So God then brings them into the promised land, and they dedicate it all to the worship of Baal. They're unfaithful. God could end the covenant relationship in divorce with Israel and his people. He could. And oh, aren't we so happy and glad that the story doesn't end there. Instead, God is going to pursue Israel again and again, and he's going to renew his covenant with them. Why? Why is this? It's purely his love. It's purely God's compassion and God's faithfulness. So that one day, yes, one day, Israel will once again repent and come back to the Lord and worship their God. God will place over them a messianic king that's been alluded to throughout scripture from the line of David who will bring God's blessing. That's chapters one through three. Hope, 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 hope. Looks messy, but there's hope. Chapters four through 11, there's, there's some accusations and some warnings for Israel. And then chapters 12 through 14, there's more accusations for Israel. And Hosea is giving this ancient Israelite history lesson. He's taking them back to show that this family has been unfaithful from the beginning. They've had moments. They've been beautiful moments, but he's taking them back in chapters 12 through 14. And he's alluding to the patriarch Jacob's lying and treachery. Cross-reference there is in Genesis chapter 27, 28. Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, Numbers and how they appointed the corrupt king Saul, who led the people deeper into sin and disaster. Cross-reference for Samuel that we've read. Chapter 11 is beautiful, though. You keep reading. It's beautiful. It depicts God as a loving father. So God's not depicting himself in chapter 11 at this particular moment as a husband and a lover, but he's depicted as a loving father who raised his son Israel, shares everything with the son Israel, and the son goes and squanders it all away. He grows up, he rebels, he turns on the father and takes advantage of the father's generosity. And so in this poem, chapter 11, God is emotionally torn apart. There's this part of who God is that he's angry. He's angry. The next moment, he's heartbroken. We see that about God. God grieves. Then God is moved by his mercy. In case you're wondering theologically, which one's going to (laughs) win? Which one is it going to be? And and this is where you and I have to embrace our humanity. God as divine doesn't have to do either or. 
Is he going to have judgment and even have righteous anger? Or is he going to show compassion and mercy? His mercy and compassion is going to be what drives him to forgive the son that he loves there in chapter 11. Chapter 14, there's this hope for the future. Hosea is is pleading with these people. He's calling them to repent and turn back to their God. And God promises that one day God will heal their waywardness. And God describes this new healed Israel as a lush green tree that will grow deep roots and have broad branches and offer shade and fruit to the nations. Remember, that was the whole call back to Abraham, is that they would experience this God and know this God and then be a blessing to the nations. The author's concluding note is in chapter 14, verse 9, last verse of this book. And it says, well, before I read it, you should just know that the book of Hosea right here in this verse proves that it Hosea is not written just for its original day and context. It's written for us modern day folks. Hosea's poetry reveals deep truths about God's character and purposes for the human nature of all of human history. Past, present, and even future. And this is how Hosea proves that. Last verse. 14.9 says, Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. That's wisdom. Then, now, in the future. That's what truth is. The major themes here uh, that, that we see in this book or that I found as I read through it, and I invite you to, as you're reading and studying through it, to find some themes, but the ones I found uh, include idolatry is linked to injustice. There's an incredible link here. Idolatry isn't just, oops, you chose the wrong God. You chose the wrong answer on the test. Oops, you should have chosen a different God. But idolatry ends up having a dehumanizing impact on people. And Jesus will quote this later in his ministry. And so Hosea, I think, seeks to answer, why do we engage in idolatry? And it's because we're trying to take advantage of people. Hosea gives example of not only adultery, but there's, after the adultery, there's stealing. There's bloodshed that happens. And again, we don't like, we typically don't like the narrative of God because if we were to engage in true worship of God, we'd actually have to take care of people. The second major theme is God's main concern is mercy. So in the midst of condemning them for idolatry, um, says getting your worship right isn't God's main concern. Right? The book, the book is not saying, you know what, you're worshiping God incorrectly, you should be offering more sacrifices, you should be doing worship more correctly, but rather the heart of God is, I want you in a right relationship with me. Because when you're in a right relationship with me, you'll remember your role in mercy, not sacrifices. Hosea 6, 6. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, God is saying, I desire mercy not sacrifice, 
and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So while God should and does bring justice on human evil, his ultimate purpose is to heal and save his people. One of my last themes I picked up, and by the way, you, you could go back and reread this, restudy this, and just come up with so many more powerful and strong themes. My last one was, amidst our shocking unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. This is Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. God says, my heart churns inside of me. My compassion, however, is aroused. What is it that's going to come out of the heart of God? It's compassion. It's his mercy. There's this lover who longs to be in a right relationship with this adulterous wife. And our response to God's grace is to not commit adultery with other gods. It's not to buy into otherworldly narratives and empires and not choosing to follow the beastly empires of our world. Another response to God's grace is I'm committed to God's narrative, being God's spouse, so that we can be about showing mercy to others and putting the world back together again with God, collaborating with God in that beautiful marriage in that way. That's a lot, is it not? There's a lot that's in the book of Hosea, just in those 14 chapters. There's some depth that's there, and I invite you to go back. Sample passage here uh, is, I'm going to take it from Hosea chapter 2 and 3, and there's some concluding verses in chapter 2, and then all of chapter 3. And so all of that is about 15 verses. And so in all of these prophets, you're you're going to be uh, going in the midst of some thick condemnation, some thick wrath that's going on. If you you read some of the prophets recently, you get into some thick condemnation and wrath, and then all of a sudden, hope enters the story. Hope. And so with God's story, there's always a story of restoration and redemption that's going on. If you're somewhere in your Bible reading and you feel like stopping or quitting, because maybe you're reading through some of the thick condemnation or thick wrath, I encourage you, Keep, either go backwards or go forward in your reading because that's where you're going to see more of the story of restoration and redemption. So the life of Hosea, who marries someone who's going to be unfaithful just so he can take her back and love her again, that's who God is. That's who God is in this book. God is so excited about revealing himself to you as the reader and myself. That's who he is. And so it's a story of God and his people. It's never over because God's patience never ends. So two major questions I have for us as we look at this passage here this morning. Number one is, how is our relationship with God described? And secondly, how is our relationship with God redeemed? All right, I invite you to read along here, Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 23, and then Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, behold, God is speaking, I will allure her. Speaking of Gomer, but also us, his people. 
I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by, by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is in an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethe of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Once again, so much to unpack here and to go through. And by the way, we're not going to get to it all. There's no way. So two questions we want to look at. The first one is, how is our relationship with God described? Quick answer, a marriage. A little bit longer of an answer, a bad marriage. A really bad marriage. Knowledge of God is the Hebrew word yada. And this word yada in Hebrew scriptures means more than intellectual knowledge of something or of someone. To know God is like the difference in knowing something about someone compared with actually knowing that person personally. And God wants Israel to know God like that in a relationship. God wants you and me and the nations and even people right now who don't know God in that way God wants and desires for us to know God in that way, in a relationship. 
and to know God's love for them so that it transforms us so that we love God back. (laughs) So that we're able to love others by giving others God's love that we've received. Hosea here, in helping them understand this relationship, is always exposing their hypocrisy. Hosea is constantly exposing the hypocrisy of Israel's worship. They're breaking the Ten Commandments. They're allowing injustices. Then they go to their sacred temples. They offer sacrifices to God, and they act as though everything is just fine. Acting as though everything, like nothing's happened. Everything's just fine. It's not fine. It's not fine. They're worshiping all of these other gods and they're trusting in their political alliances with Assyria and Egypt. And so instead of trusting God to protect them, they want to become like the nations around them who rely solely on military power. That's what's going on here. And so God is saying all of it's going to come crashing down on your head. It's coming soon. Not too long, Assyria will will, will turn on them and it's going to ravage all of your lands. So this idea of a marriage, and more specifically, a bad marriage, uh, God is saying to Hosea, Hosea, you are married. So am I. So am I, Hosea. I am married to my people. Go back and look at Jeremiah chapters 2 through 4. Go back and look at Ezekiel chapter 16. And lots of Isaiah. Isaiah 54 in particular talks about our marriage. God speaking to us, don't be afraid. For your maker is your husband. A wife only to be rejected. The Lord will take delight in you. So will your God rejoice over you. So Hosea is wanting original audience and you to know that God takes delight in you. God is evoking this moment of a bridegroom standing there on their wedding day, waiting for the bride to enter the room in all of her beauty and all of her glory. I remember that day for myself. The, the, the tears that, that, that myself and you and perhaps other have experienced, it's just that is, that is the image here that this is supposed to evoke within us. God is evoking that moment of that bridegroom. God says, I'm like that. I have that emotion. And so my delight in you, that's the most powerful, life-changing event in your life. That's what God wants you to hear from Hosea. My delight in you is the most powerful thing in your life. It's not about how much money you're ever going to make. It's not about how well-known you're going to be in your career. It's not even about what great kids you're going to raise. Or what great, comfortable life you're going to carve out for yourself. Now again, God is representing himself in so many different ways. Um, earlier in scripture, he's representing himself uh, like a king. So a king is going to see citizens. And when citizens break a rule, kings are going to get angry. Are they not? Other places in scripture, God represents himself as a shepherd. And when a, when a shepherd sees sheep straying, The shepherd's frustrated. The shepherd feels tired. And when God presents himself as a father, a father sees a child disobeying him, they're angry. They're upset. 
Now, when a spouse sees their spouse, and that's the person you love most in your life, if you're married, you know this is true. When a spouse sees their spouse sleeping, or if they ever do, see their spouse sleeping with another lover, that's way different. That's, that's already Hosea and God communicating Hosea. He's already on this image on a totally much deeper, more powerful image here when speaking to us. And we all know someone who's been through that. I've given pastoral counseling to folks who have been walking through that. And one individual that's uh, walking through that right now. Marriage is having this person first in your life. Marriage is, uh, you know, if your marriage is strong, you move out into the world in strength, do you not? If your marriage is weak and there's problems there, you're moving out into the world with weakness. And all of this is a symbol for our relationship with God, that God is to be first in your life. God is to be priority in your life. And yet he's saying, you're like a bride that's gone away from me. Going back to Jeremiah chapters two through four, I'll read some of it. It says, oh, Jerusalem, God is pleading with his people. I remember how as a bride you loved me, but you said, I will not serve you, God. Therefore, my people have forgotten me, God says. By the roadside, you sat waiting for your lovers. You ran for other gods. You said, I love foreign gods. I must go after them. Can the gods you made for yourself save you when you're in trouble? Your lovers despise you, and they seek your life. Wow. God speaking to us tenderly, but also very strongly there. Beware. They can't save you. They're just idols. They, they didn't create you. I did. How's your money going to save you? How's your marriage? How's your family going to save you? And then we see this glimpse here, fast forwarding here in, in Hosea chapter 14, verse 3. God's people end up saying as they return to the Lord, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, O God, the fatherless find compassion. Now what does it mean? What does it mean to follow another God? And it's very simply stated, one of my favorite writers, uh, Timothy Keller and Counterfeit Gods. is a wonderful little book there, um, Counterfeit Gods. He's uh, comparing and contrasting uh, the gods of sex, money, power, position, career, and so forth. And his whole premise is that we can take any good gift of God and we begin to elevate that thing to an ultimate thing. And that's like the moment when it, or that person, or that thing, turns into an idol for us. So it's basically, in my own words, something that gives you more joy than God. Something that gives you more passion than God. Something that makes you feel more of your identity than God. It could be being married. It could be having children. It could be a career. It could be a political cause. Who knows? 
So if anything is more important or gives you more joy than God, that's your real God. That's what needs to be repented of and why you got led or I got led to that thing to begin with. Gomer is out of control like a sex addict. Gomer continues to go back. Uh, There's some commentators clearly say that she is representing a sexual addict here. There's this inner emptiness that you're driven. And if you've ever struggled uh, then, now, or in the future perhaps, there is some addiction that you're battling with. There's this drive of having to have it. And so this sexual addict, if you've ever talked with one, or if you yourself are a sexual addict, you know that there's this inner emptiness and you're driven to a false intimacy of sexual practice that doesn't truly satisfy. Therefore, there you go again. Never, ever going to satisfy. And God, in the midst of that, has the audacity to say, you're doing the same thing with me. You're doing the same thing that a sex addict is doing. You're pitiful. You're looking for pleasure again and again and again, but you're not going to find it. And so God tries to keep us from the disappointing and unsatisfying experience of placing other gods before him. Gomer goes out night after night, by the way. Go read this story, please. Gomer keeps going back out night after night. Mysteriously, she keeps getting these gifts at home. Someone's leaving gifts for her there. She goes out at night, she sins, she keeps coming back home, and each night she finds a gift. Who's doing that? It's Hosea. It's Hosea who's doing that. It's Hosea's burning love for her that's doing that. She doesn't realize these gifts are from her husband, Hosea. Hosea builds up, bless his heart, he builds up thorns, a briar patch along those pathways that she takes, trying to keep her from not going in that direction. And out she goes again. This is God, your God, how God lures you back to himself again and again. Verse 14 in our passage that we were just reading, says, I'll allure her. (laughs) There is a strong love for her that I don't know that you'll ever understand, Hosea. I'll allure her. Verse 15, that talks about this valley of Accor. It's basically the valley of trouble, (laughs) the valley of hardship. Verse 16, you will no longer call me my Baal, And in another English translation, I think it's the New International Version, translates this Hebrew word here to my master. See, that's what the gods do. They become your master. Thinking you're going to get joy from some idol or some pleasure outside of God, and slowly it's slitting your throat. Slowly it's actually stealing life from you and me. Verse 17, they shall be remembered by name no more. They, yeah, he's talking about God's plural. God's plural. Verse 19 and 20, he says, though, I'll betroth you. That means I'm going to marry you to me. I'm going to do so in faithfulness. God doesn't say, I'm going to betroth you to me because of your faithfulness. Oops, did you you notice that one? That's huge. I'm going to betroth you to me because of my faithfulness, God says. 
Because I am faithful. You're not. I am. You're going to make lots of mistakes. I'm going to continue running after you. In verse 23 here, God says, I will have mercy on no mercy. What would have mercy on no mercy? Well, if you go back and read the book, you're going to know that Hosea and Gomer have three children. And the first one is a son born to Gomer called Jezreel, and that name means God's judgment. And then they have a daughter, and the daughter's name is Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. Imagine having a child and naming it not loved. That's because God is saying, I'm no longer going to show love to you, my people. And then they have a third child called Lo-Ami, which means you are not my people. Now, verse 23 that we're reading right here is saying, I will now have mercy on no mercy. See, God's heart that's churning in there, judgment or mercy, judgment or mercy, mercy comes out. I'm going I'm to call no mercy, mercy. Verse 23 says, I'm going to say to not my people, you are my people. Restoration and redemption reverses things. <laughs> it reverses things. That gets us up to our second question here is, how is our relationship with God redeemed and restored? Chapter 3, there are only five verses in this chapter, but verse 1 that we, that we read, he, he's telling Hosea, go again. Oh yeah, go again. And she, she's done it again. She's gone out and done it again. We are those people. We continue to be unfaithful. Gomer's left him, she's been a prostitute, and perhaps, and this is where other commentaries and scholars come in, and they say that she's most likely up uh, for sale. Um, she's, she's still with a lover, and it's possible that he's put her up for sale. Maybe he's a pimp, we don't even know that. Maybe he's put her up for sale. And maybe, perhaps, she's there in the marketplace. But go again, Hosea, verse 1. You have a million reasons for divorce, but go again to go get her. Now, by the way, this needs to be inserted here. This is in no way a teaching trying to say there are never reasons for divorce. The Bible is very clear. There are uh, reasons for divorce. This particular teaching, don't miss the point. God is pointing to God and his salvation. So this isn't just some inspiring example that you know what? Love conquers all. And I've heard a very generic sermon like that on the book of Hosea. God's never even explained. Sin was never even talked about. Jesus, as the Redeemer, never talked about in that sermon. It was more generic. But you know what? Love conquers all. You know what? No. God conquers all. God is the one who conquers all. Now, what does God do to the person who returns to the same sin time and time again? Have you ever asked that theological question? What does God do to that person? God returns to them again and again. That's what happens. We know in Romans chapter 6, and we should insert that text of Scripture at this point, which says, shall we keep on sinning so that we can get more grace? And the writer there, Paul, says, no, 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 no. You don't understand grace if that's what you're doing with your life. God returns to those people. Verse two, he says, I bought her. 
Now again, this is where those commentators and scholars would say it could have been a public auction that's going on there. And perhaps, perhaps, uh, Gomer is stripped of her clothes right there in the marketplace. I mean, how, how shameful, right? It could have been this public auction. She begins to hear one of the voices of one who's bidding on her. And audibly, she, perhaps she starts thinking, I know that voice. That's Hosea's voice. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> will, he, will he just keep on doing this? Sold to Hosea. One commentator says, sold to Hosea. And perhaps Gomer was thinking, why? And maybe this is where you're at in your relationship with God. Why would God still want to be connected with me in that close and personal of a relationship. What is it about you, God? Maybe Gomer's thinking that. It's revenge, right? Is that what you're going to do, Hosea? Is this for revenge? It's to shame me, isn't it? Is that what you're up to? Verse 3. Follow the text here. Follow the story. Verse 3 says, he's going to speak tenderly to her. I want to dwell with you. Not you as my slave, but as my wife. I want to rebuild our lives together. Not just, you'll be mine. Rah, 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 some macho male thing. You'll be mine, but I'll be yours. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on this phenomenal book, says, what was Hosea doing? There were the disloyal habits, years in the making, that had to be broken. And there were the painful realities in the personal relationship which had to be unhurriedly explored together. There's some restoration that's taking place in this relationship. Jose isn't naively saying, oh, it's all going to be okay. It's all just all right, but rather he's paying. There's a cost financially. We just read about it. There's a cost perhaps culturally. Folks are maybe at that marketplace going, what is this freak doing? Why is he doing this? And then there's this price emotionally, perhaps, that he's paid Hosea. Look, I can't just jump right back in the sack with you. We're not just going like, to go jump in the bed like right now when we leave this marketplace. That's very weird. Hosea is an image of God. Hosea is in love. God is... In love, Hosea's been betrayed. God has been betrayed. Hosea pays an enormous price to get her back. And this is where we start seeing how God pays the price to get us back. Look in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5 talks about David, their king. I want you to go back and read verses 4 and 5. It talks about David, their king. But as you read it, you're probably going to go, wait, David is dead. This must be a descendant of David. David's dead. David's been dead uh, 250 years at this point. <laughs> 250 years at this point, David is again used as the future coming king, Jesus Christ. Once again, this payment that's being made and looking for this King David is an image of Christ. Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. This is where it all starts to come together. 
Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom in Matthew chapter 9. That's where we need the New Testament to help us truly interpret the Old Testament. Everyone knew that the bridegroom of Israel was God alone. But Jesus is saying, I am that bridegroom. Whoa. Jesus, Matthew 9, just equated himself with being God. Is that Jesus, the bridegroom, I've come to pay for my bride and I've come to buy dying for her. That's how I'm going to make payment. So in Christ, God is the one who enters our world, comes into your mess, my mess, and buys you back and continually buys us back. That's God's delight in you. That's what's supposed to ravage you, motivate us. And this leads us to one final point here about marriage since it's such a powerful image here in this book. That if, you, if you're unmarried, listening to this, if you're unmarried or, or, or perhaps you're afraid of getting married or you're upset that you're not married, run back to the spousal love of Jesus. Run back there again and again and again. Now you might be thinking, you know what? I am married. And my marriage is not all of that. There's a lot of thick problems in my marriage. So if you're listening to this message here in Hosea, remember that you'll constantly put pressure on your spouse to be someone and something for you that only Christ can be for you. So the message is the same for those of us who are married as well. Run back to the spousal love of Jesus. Well, as we pray here, we're about to experience communion, this meal. And in this meal, we're going to restate our vow. It's like a wedding vow. That's what communion is. It's like a wedding vow. We are wed to you, God. And so, Lord, we pray right now. We pray your, your love, your love, your love, your mercy, your compassion, God, your faithfulness. We don't deserve it and you. We confess our waywardness. We confess running after other divine lovers. Bring us back to you, the source of our true identity and joy, so that we can respond to you by saying, I do. I do. And I will by your help. We pray all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.